Welcome to Women of the Wild, where education and opportunities are key, and friendships are made to last a lifetime. You think we got him? You think we got him? We got him. All right, Skylar, what do we got here? We have a nice looking rip off. Welcome back to season two women of the wild podcast. We would like to first start off by thanking our title sponsors for the 2024 year. Atlantic Coral Enterprise, one of the largest import dealers in the world with excellent quality for hides, skulls, shells, and amazing gifts for friends and family or even your household. You can find them at AtlanticCoralEnterprise.com. RM Custom Calls, multiple world championships from Main Street to Live Duck. American-made, veteran-owned, when you want to win on the stage or in the blind, we have you covered. Small shop, big sound. You can find them at rmcustomcall.com or on Instagram. We also have Rhino Land Safaris, providing exceptional quality with unmatched hospitality and cuisine, offering African safaris, a destination hunt for the avid rifle or bow hunter with some of the best trophy management South Africa has to offer. You can find them at rhinoland.co.za or on Facebook, Instagram. Hey everyone, Andy Lehman here from ACC Crappie Sticks. Just want to let you know about our crappie baits and jig heads. We have a wide selection of the hottest colors and big eye crappie jig heads in the most popular colors and sizes. Check them all out at acccrappiesticks.com. Thank you. And now for today's episode, we hope you enjoy. Hi guys, it's Felicia Marie here with Women of the Wild hosting our season two podcast. We have today as a guest, Rihanna Franz from Florida. Hi Rihanna, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to have you on today and I would love to just dive right into this because I know we have so much to talk about, but would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into the outdoors? Of course. So like you said, my name is Rihanna Franz. I am 22 years old and I'm from Florida. I am currently a senior at the University of Florida. Um, I'm majoring in animal science with a specialty in animal biology on the pre-veterinary track. And I am minoring in wildlife ecology and conservation. Um, I know that's a mouthful, but uh, no, I grew up going to a lot of national parks. You know, I was very blessed with a family that appreciates the outdoors and loves to travel. And I've been to, you know, Glacier National Park, Yellowstone, the Grand Canyon. And from a very young age, I was exposed to the beauty of nature, you know, the mountains, the woods. And my father taught me how to hunt from a very young age. It all started with a tree. I asked him to teach me how to shoot a bow when I was about nine years old. And we competed 
with that around the state, competed in some national championships, and that led into shooting, learning how to shoot a gun. And that brought us to hunting. And so he taught me how to hunt at a very young age, and I absolutely fell in love with it. He taught me how to hunt from a very young age. We would go up to our lease in Pennsylvania and deer hunt and bear hunt. And I just absolutely fell in love with that. So fast forward a few years after doing some big game hunting, we decided to get into bird hunting and to practice for bird hunting, you'd have to shoot clays. And so we became members at this sporting clays club a couple hours away from us and we came across their youth shooting team. And my dad wanted me to join it. Uh, it was a competitive clay target team, part of the Scholastic Clay Target Program, which is SCTP, and it is a youth shooting organization. And I was very hesitant to join. I was shy. I was like, this is, I'm just here with my little duck gun. Like these kids know what they're doing. They're competing constantly. But my dad always has this one motto and it's, you have to try everything at least once. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. So I'm like, okay. So he signed up my freshman year of high school. And uh, that was kind of the start of a journey. I made my way to the top of the podium fairly quickly within this youth shooting program, won numerous national championships in the lady division, broke records, and kind of left my mark there, and shooting took over. With that, and attending college later on, shooting and college became my life, and I ended up taking a break from hunting for a few years. And I didn't really realize how much I missed it. Shooting has provided a lot of opportunities for me. It has landed me numerous sponsors. Uh, my gun sponsors, Kriegoff International. Their number one gun dealer is DuPont Kriegoff. They're also my sponsor, sponsored by Remington Ammunition, Rhino Choke Tubes, Electronic Shooting Protection, which supplies my ear protection, and then PMS Firearms, which supplies my PLF Performance Eyewear, so my eye protection. And I landed all of this uh, throughout my high school and college career, and it just became my life. And like I said, I took a break, about a three-year break from hunting, and just kind of drifted away. Well, here comes COVID. I ended up taking my first year of college online at home, and I get a call from my shooting manager uh, from Cuff, and they said, we sponsor this camp in Texas. It's a female hunting camp. And we needed, we send a representative to shoot, teach them how to shoot shotguns. We need someone for this camp in about a month. Can you please let me know in a couple of days if you can make it? After consulting with my parents, I decided to go. And it was the best decision I've ever made in my life because it it, it changed the, the future, the face of my career. It brought me back to hunting and all that good stuff. So I have been a coach at this camp in Texas called She Hunt Skills Camp, and it is run by Brittany Boddington and her husband, Brad, and hopefully a lot of hunters out there recognize that last name. Um, if not from Brittany, then maybe her father, Craig Boddington, who is a legendary hunter. And uh, they put on these classes at this camp. It's about five days and they teach these women everything from pre-hunt to post-hunt. So from how to put a scope on your rifle all the way to how to butcher, gut, and cook your animal. And so <laughs> they're... <laughs> Their, their goal is to create independent hunters in a very safe, encouraging, and pressure-free environment, and it takes place on a luxury hunting ranch. And while the women are there, they have the opportunity to hunt roughly like 60 different species, exotic species, and it is truly an incredible experience. Um, when I went there my first year, 
it made me realize how much I missed hunting and how much I needed it. I had never hunted with a female before prior to going to that camp. And it was a camaraderie that I never knew I really needed. And I have made lifelong friends. I mean, I went to my first camp in 2021 and I still keep in touch with some of the ladies there. So it is really an incredible incredible uh, little organization they've got going there. And we have females from all backgrounds, some that have never shot a gun to some that have gone to Africa five, six times. And you're always learning something new and in, in, in making those friendships. Um, so not only did it bring me back to hunting, you know, it was a little full circle moment. Hunting got me into shooting and then shooting brought me back to hunting. And if that's not a sign that, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, then I don't really know what is. But uh, not only did it do that, it helped me in my career. So when I had mentioned earlier that I decided I wanted to be a veterinarian, when I was younger, I wanted to be a wildlife veterinarian. I wanted to work with wildlife. And where I'm from, there's no such thing as exotic ranches. Uh, I didn't even know they existed. And so when you talk about working with wildlife, it's purely government work, you know, researching, tagging, and that sort of thing. And you're not, you know, deer don't have pockets. They don't have wallets. They don't have owners. So making a decent living off of that, it, it, it's difficult as a veterinarian. And so I decided I wanted to do large animal medicine. I've ridden horses all my life, trained horses and loved that country farm life. And I, uh, I want my truck to be my office. I don't want to sit in, a, <laughs> in an office and do checkups on dogs and cats. So I decided I want to do large animal simply because of that. And um, when I got to this camp, I was exposed to a world of wildlife that I never knew existed. And it really helped jumpstart my career. That's when I decided I wanted to minor in wildlife ecology and conservation. I started doing a lot of research and I realized, hey, there is a life out there for wildlife veterinarians and specifically exotic hoofstock um, wildlife veterinarians. That led to me doing an internship actually at uh, Brittany and Brad, the people that run the camp. Their ranch right next door is an exotic livestock breeding ranch. And I was able to work there. I learned how to tranquilize. Uh, animals, tag, relocate. It was during breeding, uh, fawning season. So we had a herd of fallow in our breeding program. I got to work with the fawns, medicate feed, um, formulate feed diets, you name it. I kind of did it all. And it was a life that I realized that I, I, I want to pursue. And so, like I said, hunting has brought me to so many opportunities. This camp has made me meet incredible people, make friendships that'll last a lifetime. And it has helped me in my career. Um, that internship has helped land me a job elsewhere. Um, so I just applied to veterinary school this past fall and I have a backup plan if I don't get in considering it is very competitive and most people don't get in their first try, but, uh, no, I do have a, a job lined up for me at an exotic breeding company in Texas. I think it's the largest in the country and I'll be able to work under their wildlife veterinarian there. So again, hunting has touched on so many different aspects of my life. It has led me to a career that I've always dreamed of since a little girl and, uh, didn't realize that it could actually come to fruition. And so I'm very blessed and, and excited to kind of partake on that journey. And, and I have hunting to thank for that. That's absolutely amazing. You, and for being 22 years old, like, and having the mindset that you do, it blows my mind because there's so many women in the outdoor industry that, and I don't want to say that they're taking it the wrong path, but they're not utilizing their full potential. And for you, this hunting camp to be able to help these exotics in the veterinary mad that you're, you're so passionate about is absolutely incredible. And we're going to take a really quick short break. We're going to come back and we're going to dive into that hunting camp a little bit more because I'd love to talk more about that. But we're going to hear from our sponsors real quick and we will be right back 
to speak with Rihanna a little bit more about all of this. Share your love of the outdoors with your little ones through the exciting adventures in Dr. Josh Farr's children's books. As an avid sportsman, Dr. Josh Farr has taken his passion for the outdoors and uses his vivid storytelling to teach valuable lessons and appreciation of the world. Learn the alphabet through the ABCs of hunting. Find joy in exploring the outdoors with Let's Go Out and Play and more. You and your child will love learning about nature with Dr. Josh Farr. See all of his books now at drjoshfarr.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-H-F-A-R-R.com. Weeby Knives, a brand of skinning, fleshing, and butchering knives perfect for the hunters, trappers, and fishermen with a unique high-quality knife for animals of all shapes and sizes. You can find them and more information at weebyknives.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stonehouse Digital Consulting. Elevate your small business with Stonehouse's expert marketing solutions. Ignite your online presence and thrive with a tailored strategy to drive your growth. You can find them and more information at stonehousedigitalconsulting.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Livingston County Pheasants Forever, Chapter 465, with a mission to conserve pheasant, quail, and other wildlife through habitat improvements, public access, education, and conservation. You can contribute by joining the meetings on the first Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. at the Howell American Legion Hall on the corner of M59 and Grand River. For more information and to get involved, you can find them at pf465.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Dreamcatcher Charters, a Michigan-based guide service for walleye, sturgeon, and duck hunting with a passion that drives their success, sharing the phenomenal Michigan waterways with everyone. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram. Feather Moon Outdoors, offering calls made from select materials. Every pot is fine-tuned in the house using the highest quality materials available. Also offering diaphragm, slate, glass, grunt calls, and more. For more information, you can find them at feathermooneoutdoors.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stay tuned, more podcasts to come. Welcome back. Uh, we are here with Rihanna from Florida, and we have been immersing ourselves into her as a firearm instructor, what she's doing with vet med, mentoring at this hunting camp in Texas. And I would love to circle back and dive into that about what it is that that embraces and everything that's instructed. Like, can you walk us through start to finish of what happens once these women show up at that hunting camp? Of course, I'd be happy to. So it is a five-day camp. It starts in on a Thursday and typically goes through Monday. And these women get picked up by the airport in this big shuttle in San Antonio. And they are shuttled all the way to the beautiful Utopia, Texas, which is about an hour and a half west of San Antonio. It take, like I said, it takes place at a luxury exotic game ranch. And the, the facility is, is world-class truly from their guides to their meals, to their lodging. It's absolutely beautiful. And I can't express how incredible the team is. Uh, you know, Brittany and Brad and her father, they, they teach all these different classes. Like I said, from how to put a scope on your, on your rifle to how to shoot a gun to bullet ballistics and shot placement, um, you name it, everything. And the camp typically consists of like 12 to 16 girls around there. And there's about four of them throughout the year. These women show up from different backgrounds. Nobody really knows each other and they come in uh, strangers, but they leave as family. And I have seen it time and again and again. Um, I have coached about seven of these camps. And like I said, I have made friendships from every single one of them. And I see 
the, the, the vulnerability of it, you know, hunting is, is very vulnerable and, and it helps you really connect with your soul. Taking an animal for the first time, it's, it's a beautiful experience. And I remember my first camp, I was with a lady who took her first animal and I was getting teary eyed. I think I was more excited than she was um, just because it made me realize how much I missed it and how, how incredible it is how incredible the program is um, to get women to come out of their comfort zones and be comfortable and courageous enough to not only shoot a gun for the first time, but to take an animal. And, and it's amazing. I've seen the work that it's done and none other than have I seen it um, than when I actually brought my mom, I brought my mom to a camp in March mm. And I've always hunted with my dad. My mother had never even shot a gun before. And here she, she has a daughter who is a, a professional clay shooter. She's never shot a gun, a husband that hunts, a daughter that hunts. And uh, we got it as a present for her for, for Mother's Day. And I it was just the experience of a lifetime. I was getting teary-eyed when she shot her first rifle because she looked up and she was like, that was kind of fun. <laughs> And it just brought the biggest smile to my face. And all of the ladies there were so encouraging. And I just remember she was, she was so nervous about going, I don't know anything like at all. I don't know the first thing about hunting. I'm going to look like an idiot. I don't know anybody. You better not leave my side. Um, And I'm like, mom, you just have to trust me here. And she made incredible friends. Everyone was so encouraging and and she actually took her very first animal with me. And when I tell you, I bawled like a baby, um, oh. she took a beautiful axis buck. And I was just, I was overjoyed because I know how my mom is. And she was so nervous about, oh my gosh, I hope I make a good shot. And she never grew up with hunting. So she never truly understood it. It was something that she always supported that my dad and I did. and was very encouraging with that, but it was nothing that she ever wanted to do. She never knew if she would be able to take an animal's life. She, you know, she'd see a beautiful deer and she's like, oh, it's so cute. You know? So being able to sit there with her and have her build the confidence in a matter of days. I'm talking like two days from the first time she shot a gun, she developed the confidence and and the bravery to take her first animal. And that was just absolutely remarkable. And I got to see the beauty of this camp and the success of it through my mother's eyes. And it was just an absolutely incredible experience. Um, So I've seen the wonders that it has done. But again, circling back to what this camp does, it's, its main mission is to create independent female hunters. You know, a lot of females that get into hunting or hear about hunting through their boyfriends or their husbands, and they may take them out and they load the gun for them. They tell them where to shoot, when to pull the trigger, and they have absolutely no idea what they're doing or why they're doing it. They're just doing it. They're kind of like puppets. And so Mm -hmm. Brittany's uh, whole goal here is to create independent hunters, women that are able to go out on their own, meet other women with similar interests, and then they can go and hunt together and truly not have to rely on a man or anybody else when it comes to hunting. And again, it's about building friendships and doing it in an encouraging environment that is pressure free. These women just, they have a blast, an absolute blast. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that it's on such a beautiful ranch with all these species. I mean, we load up in Jeeps and we go on these game drives and you feel like you're in Africa. You've got, you know, your kudu, your sable, your scimitar. I mean, you name it everywhere. And the guides are really nice and they treat them well and they're encouraging and they're not, they, they, they try not to do any of the work for the women. They don't load their guns. They don't, any of that. And they try to let them utilize those hunting skills that they have learned at the camp. And again, they're super encouraging and it's 
pressure free. They don't say, shoot, shoot, shoot. They're like, okay, if you're ready, you know, now you can take the shot. They're super calm and encouraging. And, and it is truly a remarkable um, way for a woman to take her very first animal. The camaraderie is great. And it is, again, like I said, pressure free and just, just fun. I absolutely love that. I think, and I think that's really important now in our, our, our lifestyle, because you, like you said, there's so many women that are dependent on going with their dad or their boyfriend or, or friends. And that's how they learn, but learning from an educational standpoint where they're going to go over everything and not, I think it's really important not to cater to people when you're teaching them. So I think that's fantastic that they're not loading their guns, not carrying their guns for them. I think there's an independence that has to be taught along with it, you know, teaching them how to shoot a gun for the first time, how to, where to shoot that animal, and then how to clean and process it after the fact. It's very important to teach that entire dynamic of what hunting is and build that independence. So that camp that they're doing, it sounds absolutely fantastic. What types of animals are typically harvested at a camp like that? So like I said, we have about roughly 60 or so species um, facility, and it really depends on when we go. So there is a camp in October, and I know that is during their deer season. So some people like to take whitetail, um, and they have monster whitetail and elk and stag. Um, I've seen just about every animal harvested, as you could imagine. We have a bunch of different sheep, you know, mouflon, Armenian, European, um, urials. We have sable. We have scimitar. I've been with women that have taken scimitar, axis, black buck, peer David, fallow, sheep, audad. I took an, I was able to harvest a few animals while I was out there too. I took an audad ewe and a Catalina goat. So I've seen it all. And that's what's always so exciting. You know, these women, they, they carve out a few hours each day for hunting for these women. So everyone gets in their little squads. We have about four or five guides that take these women out and everyone kind of establishes their little posse, their little squad, and they hunt with them the entire camp and they form great relationships with their guides and each other. And like I said, there's a vulnerability to hunting and being able to overcome a fear. And when these women do it together, it is so beautiful and important, but, uh, but yeah, no, these women, they go out and they hunt these animals together. And it's always great. You know, someone uh, will harvest an animal and we go back to camp to the skinning shed and the guides are reaping the horns. Women are running outside of the lodge congratulating. <laughs> and it is like my mom, she had like a little culture shock. Like we came back and everyone's screaming, excited. Um, and it just, it makes you feel good. And it makes you feel like people have your back and you did something beautiful. And, you know, when someone harvests an animal for the first time, or anytime really, it's an emotional experience, um, especially the first time because you took a life and you don't know how to process it sometimes. But when you have people to come back to that are encouraging you and happy for you, um, it, it makes the experience so much better and will allow you to continue this lifestyle at the end of the day. Um, I've kind of made a name for myself at that camp. I'm kind of like referred to as Bloody Mary because every time a woman takes her first animal, I always paint their face and it is yeah. so beautiful and I love doing it and I'm like, they have to get the full experience. But what you're saying about education and how important it is, as a shotgun instructor, I have seen just about every kind of case you could um, you could imagine when it comes to, to women who have had experiences shooting before, you know, nowadays guns are viewed as as scary if you don't grow up with them um 
it can be something that is that is a scary experience between the noise and the recoil, whatever it may be. And all, what I've seen is a lot of these women have gone out with their husbands or their boyfriends or their fathers who don't have an education, not only, I mean, they may have an education in firearm safety, but not about recoil and shot loads, you know, size, speed, things like that, gun fit. And they put these girls in a 30-06 for the first time that they're shooting the rifle and they're not teaching them about, you know, not keeping, I mean, keeping your head far away from the scope, otherwise you'll get scoped, mm -hmm. things like that. And they end up having these God awful experiences that make them afraid of guns and saying, I never want to do that again. And it's simply because there is a lack of education out there. And that is why I find these camps and these clinics so important. And I'm blessed when I am able to teach someone to shoot for the very first time, because I know that they're going to have a good and a positive experience. They're not going to get bruised in the face. They're not going to have this god-awful recoil bruise. It's going to be enjoyable. And when you're with somebody who you can trust, uh, you know, I, I try to go to these camps for the entire week. I only coach one day, but Brittany is kind enough to let me stay throughout the whole week and build friendships. And when you're being coached by someone who you trust and, and is friendly and you've made a friend with, it makes it so much easier than just some guy that, you know, you, you get a lesson from and you have no idea who he is, or it can be intimidating. So this makes it not only a more fun experience, but um, a more impactful one that will kind of allow these women to continue doing this um, for years to come. And, and that's our goal at the end of the day is for them to see the beauty behind this lifestyle and to want them to continue it and not shy away from it. And that's where the education comes in. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And it's, it's fantastic that you guys can cater it like with what animals they want to shoot, how they need you know, what education they're going to need from it. And like you said, whether they're new hunters or experienced hunters, it sounds like a, a full circle of being able to immerse yourself in the experience, build that camaraderie. I agree with you. I think that being out there, even if you're only instructing one day to build that friendship and build that personability with these girls, it just, it resides a little bit deeper. As women, we we are a little bit more emotional. We do take things a little bit more to heart. So to, to have something that I've built a friendship with and experience it with that person, it's just going to mean more. And it's not necessarily even about the harvest at that point. It's immersing yourself in the experience, the education and the friendships. So what you guys are doing at that hunting camp is beyond words to me. We need more of things like that. And we need them all over the United States. And it's fantastic that it's at such a good program at such a good lodging situation because having those opportunities when they are so successful and in a beautiful environment and they are able to build those incredible friendships it's gonna it's gonna sit in your mind as like a different or even in your heart it's just gonna sit and reside with you a little bit differently than to just go on a whim and go go somewhere where like maybe the lodging was under par or the, the meals were a little bit under par or even maybe a guide that wasn't experienced enough in educating those things are very impactful so your guys's hunting camp down in texas is exactly like what we strive for with women of the wild to provide the best possible experience with the best possible guides it quite honestly the way that you're explaining this camp is exactly how we handle africa um aside from skinning because of all the trophy prep, they, that typically is done elsewhere that they, that's not a part that we're typically included in unless someone wants to be. 
But that's exactly how we handle a lot of our trips is we get into these groups, we go hunt together, and it does. It just builds a sisterhood. It's unmatched by anything else. Like we, you could go and meet these girls out at the bar or at a beach, and you're not going to build that same connection and friendship that the outdoors seems to intertwine us together a little bit deeper for. I absolutely love everything that you're doing. And I I would like to dig into you a little bit. So what is your like what is your absolute favorite style of hunting and or favorite animal to hunt? I may shock a lot of people with this considering I am a professional clay shooter which simulates bird hunting um but I love big game hunting. I uh I haven't had a chance to travel and do a lot of, you know, like your elk and things like that. Um I've my big game hunting has pretty much been limited to whitetail and bear. Um but I just love the primitiveness of it. You know, you have to worry about your scent. You have to worry about making noise. Um, and and I, you have to be one with the animal at the end of the day. And I just love, I can sit in a stand for 11 hours a day in 20 degree weather and not see a dang thing all day, but it heals my soul. And I truly, truly love big game hunting. Um, you know, I was actually up in Pennsylvania this past weekend for opening season of rifle. And one of my buddies made this comment and where we hunt, it, it the hunting is very difficult. We hunt in the mountains and there's a lot of stripping holes where the deer love to kind of bed down and travel through. And I've been there, I've gone hunting there for years and I will walk away not even seeing a tail. They're nomads. They don't have a prominent food source. They don't come down to farmland and feed on corn. They are constantly traveling. And so it's, it's made for very, very tough hunting. You've heard of low fence hunting. This is like no fence hunting, yeah. um, but he made this comment and it was, Hunting is waiting for your animal to make a mistake and mm -hmm. really hit it on the nail for me when he said that. And, and it's true. People who don't hunt think that hunters have the advantage. We have a weapon. We're camouflaged. They can't see us that they couldn't be farther from the truth. I mean, the, the animals, the deer, especially they, they have every advantage. And mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've had my cover blown by a doe. Um, and <laughs> And he said that hunting is waiting for an animal to make a mistake. I love the challenge behind that. And uh, that is why deer, they're smart animals. I love to hunt them. And uh, I would have to say from what I have hunted, definitely um, whitetail is probably my favorite, but big, just big game in general. That's probably one of my favorite things. So we use it a lot. Um, there's a curse word involved, but it's basically you're waiting for that animal to have that 15 minute of screw up. And that is what you're waiting for as a hunter. It doesn't mean you're going to have it every time, but like every animal throughout a day is going to have a 15 minute window where they're going to screw up. And I'm, it, I'm just saying 15 minutes, like it could be a half an hour. It could be five minutes, but that is, you are absolutely yeah, nail on the head with that. Like you have so many things that contribute to a hunter being out there and you have to outsmart that animal yep. to get there. That's like, for me, I love, I love waterfowl hunting and I guide them here in Michigan, but like my, my thing is, is like, I'm not a big pass shooter type of person. Like I want them decoying into those birds. I want those, like when I hunt, I like an animal as close as possible. I'm not a big fan of, of long distance shooting. And it's, it's not that I can't do it. It's not that I don't enjoy it, but I prefer to outsmart that animal because it is, it's a game. It's a, it's puzzle pieces and everything has to align for you to be successful. And the closer you get, the closer, like the harder it is and the more chances you're running a risk of your cover being blown. I'm an avid turkey hunter. And I always say if, you know, they have 
incredible vision. They have great hearing. If they could sell, smell you, you'd never shoot one. And, you know, those birds coming in at like 20 yards is like, I won't shoot a bird past but about 20 yards is my, my reach on a turkey because I don't want to shoot one at 40 or 50 yards. Like I want it to come in and I want to fool that bird into thinking that my decoys are real, that my calling is real. So I definitely relate to you on that. And like the more primitive aspect, like I've gotten into like the blowgun when I hunt down in Texas and my recurve up here in Michigan, there's just a different dynamic to hunting when you go more primitive with it. Um, we're going to take another short break to hear from our mid-segment sponsors. And we will be right back with Rihanna to talk more about her incredible journey and stay tuned because we'll be right back after this short word from our sponsors. And now to the final segment to this week's episode of Women of the Wild podcast. We will conclude this segment by thanking our closing sponsors. Stay tuned for more of this week's episode after this short word from our sponsors. Muzzy Pheasant Farms, a mid-Michigan family-owned and operated pheasant game preserve that is open year-round. Muzzy offers educational courses and hunts. They are family-oriented, creating a great opportunity for new and seasoned upland hunters. With no membership required, come hunt with Muzzy Pheasant Farms. You can find more information at muzzypheasantfarms.com or check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Blast and Cast Guide Service is a veteran-owned and operated Michigan-based guide service for the Great Lakes. With decades of experience of fishing and waterfowl, they ensure a safe and enjoyable trip every time. You can check them out at blastandcastguideservice.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Ultimate Veteran Adventures. UVA offers outdoor therapy, recreation, and camaraderie through hunting and fishing adventures around the country for veterans, active duty military, Gold Star families, and first responders. You can find them at ultimateveteranadventures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, a husband and wife owned and operated company, the home of the C4, one of the best trapping canine lures on the market. You can find them at sawmillcreekbaitandlures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Wicked 7 Outdoors, a Southwest Texas outfitter guide service with an exceptional care and quality of backcountry mountain hunts for free-range audad. Also offering high fence and low fence exotics, come immerse yourself in the outdoor experience. You can find Wicked 7 Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Misguided Outdoors is a female-driven Michigan-based guide service offering turkey and waterfowl hunts. Misguided is focused on educating women and youth, providing a hands-on hunt experience for all ages. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. We thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So welcome back. We are here with Rana from Florida, an avid outdoors woman who is absolutely spectacular. I'm enjoying speaking with you so much, and I love the diversity that you provide whether it's firearm instructor, whether it's mentoring at these camps, whether it's your veterinary med. Um, but I know that there's something that we haven't talked about. And you recently became a pro staffer for ProIS. And I think one of the big questions for women in the outdoors is like, how do I get started? Where do I get started? What kind of gear do I buy? Um, and I, I personally love ProIS. Uh, I use them a lot for Upland, but I would love for you to provide our listeners a little bit of education on camo gear and maybe what you use, like what, what is it that you're packing out in and wearing? Of course. Yeah. So I've been wearing pros for a few years now and I'm just amazed with their quality. Um, 
I am bigger in the thighs and smaller in the waist. And it is very hard to find clothing that fits that figure. Um, and let me tell you, Proist, it it works wonders. It fits in all the right places. It It's geared, it's made for women. And finding a woman clothing line nowadays for hunting, it, it's very difficult. And not only is does it fit well, it's comfortable, it's quiet, um, and it's flattering. And Proist, um, I, I also love what they stand for. You know, they stand for just what we we stand for, and that is getting women in the out involved in the outdoors in a very encouraging environment and building a sisterhood and showcasing how wonderful the hunting lifestyle is. I do most of my hunting is big game, and when I do big game hunting, it's up in Pennsylvania, typically November December where it is cold. And so I typically do a lot of layering this past, uh, this past week I was up there, it was about 20 degree weather and I'm sitting in a tree stand for 11 hours straight. So as you can imagine, warm clothing is very, very important. What I love about Proist's website is that you can shop by the conditions. So whether you're hunting in hot conditions, warm, cool, cold, and wet, and they kind of put those gear into category for you to make it easy, um, and they also have uh, different types of hunting as well. You know, what, what are you hunting for? White tail, are you hunting for waterfowl, upland, whatever it may be, they kind of categorize it to make it easy for you. Even they even have it categorized by camel patterns. And so what I have used, um, what I used this past week was I use um, their fleece. I don't even know. They, they have long names for these, for these products, but I use their fleece uh, thin, thinner long sleeve shirt as a base layer. I actually use their merino base layer underneath that and um, kind of a thicker, like a mid-weight jacket. And then I use their thicker, I can't remember the name of it, but it's their heavyweight jacket. And I stayed warm. I wore their bibs. I wore a set of their pants underneath of that. And I stayed warm. I remember my dad was texting me. He's like, I am freezing. And he's in his sick gear. He's in his sick gear. And he's like, I'm freezing. And I'm like, really? I'm warm. <laughs> and this is pro is. So they make great quality clothing. I'm very dependent with my gear. So like, there is no specific game that I wear a specific brand. And people might find that kind of off-putting that like I you know, some of these women, they circle through so many brands. I'm not stuck to one specific brand. Like I love my sick gear when it comes to waterfowl. There's like, I was saying with the Proist, the Prandolin pants and their pack and everything. It's to me, it's outstrived everything else that I've utilized at this point. So every, every game to me has like, it's certain camo that just works better. Um, but I will admit that Proist and Christy with her, with what she's doing with Proist, the embodiment of a woman and what it does for providing women in the outdoors. Like I've gone on the proist pheasant hunt over in Wisconsin and what they do to support women in the outdoors. It's a fantastic brand to support for what they support, but it also strives ahead with its gear being more form fitting to women to be a very comfortable, it's very quiet gear. And like you said, it's very warm they they kind of and they're still growing like they're still coming out with more they just came out with a turkey pack last year and they're you know they're kind of growing from there and it, it's hard because some of these patterns I'm like oh I don't know that I want to wear that like waterfowl hunting but they keep coming out with more and I'm like oh like it's they're starting to hit the nail on the head a little bit more and more and I think that's something that women need to look at when they're supporting these brands is some of them are still in their infancy 
And as they grow, they're going to cater more. And while they may not have it yet, they're, they're probably already working on it. It's not a quick result to get something out there, you know, fast. And it, it takes months, sometimes years to, to overcome some of those, like the patterns to be more set for something. But I've noticed that ProS over the last two years is definitely making a massive impact for women in the outdoors. And it, it's their camo but it's also what they're doing. These hunts that they're putting together, they're really starting to strive ahead. And to me, it's it's very respectable to have that in a, a women's clothing line to show that they're they're listening to their clientele. Then they're also out there in the field supporting. So I wanted yeah. to bring that up because they I noticed that you had became a ambassador for them. And I think they're a great company to showcase. Um, so I have to ask you, with everything that you've done in the outdoors. And, you know, we've touched on the hunting camps, we've touched on you being a firearms instructor, but what is something that you have advice for, for women in the outdoors that just want to get started in the outdoors and are maybe looking like, where do I start? What should I start with? What would your biggest advice be? That's a good question. I would definitely, you know, join forums like what you've got going here with women in the wild um, and other Facebook groups and just trying to make connections, do your research and attend some camps. I would try to attend the She Hunt Skills Camp or any other female hunting camp that is, it, it, it's, it, it provides the baby steps to get you into the door. Um, and it also provides you with the sisterhood that I believe is very important as well. But those camps, that's what they're there for. They're there to teach people of all different experience levels. And I know that there are some that teach basic beginner stuff and that can really help you realize if it's something that you want to do, if it's a lifestyle that you want to um, pursue and uh, being in an encouraging environment like that, it's truly helpful. And so definitely going to camps like that, doing your research, joining forums, listening to podcasts, um, just trying to get your hands on every little bit of information to prepare you for what you're going to uh, kind of pursue and, and, and join. Uh, I think that is very important. We have more resources now more than ever. Um, and I believe that that is what is ultimately helping grow, helping to grow the female demographic within hunting. So just taking yeah. advantage of that. So, yeah, I can't agree with you more. And as a, a firearms instructor, do you have any tips or tricks of like a girl that maybe has never shot a gun and she's kind of wondering where to start or maybe what, what type of gun to start with. Do you have any advice on that? Of course. So a lot of it kind of depends on age, a young girl in school. Uh, there are youth shooting programs within the Scholastic Clay Target Program and 4-H throughout the country. I know that a lot of schools have shooting teams. No schools in Florida have shooting teams. So I had to go through a, a, a shooting club and start. I would join an SCTP team. Join a team. You will meet kids from across the country. You will be able to develop skills not only in firearm safety and, and, and handling, but confidence. I mean, there's nothing more empowering than being a dominant female in a male dominated sport. And it is something that we all initially struggle with. And it can be scary. You know, like I said, I was very hesitant to join this team. I was one of the only girls on it. But here I am going out there beating all the boys and setting records. And that's what I love about the shooting sports. Anyone, any age, any gen gender, any size, whatever it may be, um, anyone can shoot a gun. And anyone can compete in the shooting sports for years and years and years to come. I know 80 year olds out there shooting. I know people in wheelchair shooting. So it very um, is generalizable to, to everybody. And so I, if you're young, I would try joining a shooting team. That is something that is available to you. Mine was two hours away. 
So I went to school during the week as a full-time student. And then on the weekends I shot and my life was school and shooting. Uh, I didn't have much of that, you know, teenage social life where I'd go to the mall shopping with my friends or any of that. I was different. I was the girl that showed up to school with her camel backpack and her camel lunchbox and talked about, you know, taking her first deer in her poems rather than talking about, you know, boy crushes or whatever it may be. So <laughs> I stayed true to myself. And yes, was I, I mean, was I popular? No, not by any means. Was I weird? No, mm. but I definitely, you know, I, I was different and I didn't let that bother me. I didn't try to conform to society. I didn't try to fit in. And I went from being kind of the odd girl to now the girl that everyone is just fascinated by. Um, wow, you shoot guns. That's insane. That's incredible. You hunt. That's so cool. And so just stay true to yourself. Um, but definitely if you're young, I would try to join a team or even join a clinic. Uh, there are a lot of shooters uh, that I compete with that put on clinics across the country and they do youth specialized clinics. So it may be a day and they teach them basic firearm safety and handling and how to shoot a clay target. Th take advantage of those. There are a lot of resources, like I said, now more than ever that you can take advantage of. And if you're not a kid, um, again, there are clinics out there that you can attend for beginner shooters, um, but attending camps, I'm sure you'll learn how to shoot a shotgun. If you go to She Hunts Skills Camp, you will learn how to shoot a shotgun with me. Um, and that is, that is very fun and, and encouraging. Um, for some tips and tricks, again, it all really depends on your age, your build. Starting off with a lower gauge gun, like a 20 gauge, um, having your, your shot speed be a little on the lower end so that you're not getting that recoil your shot shot size being a one ounce load instead of a one and an eighth load just things little things like that that can help reduce the recoil and not kind of scare you the first time you shoot a gun um like i said that's where the education comes in making sure you have a gun that fits you that is very 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 important you know most of these guns come out of the factory for their main target audience which is you know a middle-aged man and mm -hmm. so the average man. And so a lot of guns aren't fitted for women and you have to end up going and getting them uh, fitted for you, especially if you want to compete. And that's what I love about the shotgun industry right now is that there are a lot of your big name companies, Kriegoff, Beretta, Cesar Guarini, that are coming out with models fit for women. Um, and they're catering, catering to that female demographic, which is really great. Um, yeah, so I think it's, so I, to touch back on that, like, I think you're absolutely right with, you know, that middle-aged man being more of the demographic that's trying to be reached. But like these women need to know that there, there are firearms that are designed for women. And I see a lot of women that are purchasing youth guns and they're like, well, it's too small for me. And I don't know where this happened. And I know, I know it's a big like stigma out there that like, especially for waterfowl, right? That they have to use the 12 gauge. They have to be shooting three and a half, but that's really not the case. I always tell women when they come with us, like you can shoot, like you can start, like my mom, she's shooting a 28 gauge and she's extremely precise and accurate with it. I know people that hunt waterfowl with a 410 and I've been telling these women, like you do not have to shoot a 12 gauge to be successful. You can shoot a 20 gauge. And like for myself, I, I've always shot a 20 gauge. A couple of years ago, I upgraded to a 12 gauge and I've shot it for a few years now and I love it. Don't get me wrong, but there's absolutely no need to bump all the way up to a 12 gauge if you're more comfortable at a 20 gauge. And I think that it, this like persona, especially in waterfowl where like you got to shoot this 12 gauge. And I, I think it's important for women to know that it, you just have to find what fits you 
And that's the most important thing is making sure that your stock is fitted for you, making sure that you're not getting a barrel that's a 28 inch that's going to be way too long for you to swing and go ahead and stick with that 26 inch. Like there's no right way for everyone. Everyone is going to have their own fit and what they're comfortable with and finding the tool because that's what a firearm is or a bow or anything like that. You have to have it fitted to you. And I think that's the most important part when it comes to any tool that you're utilizing me are outdoor to harvest an animal because you're going to be more ethical if it fits you. Um, but I, I, I definitely think that you're right. These, these camps and these skill trainings, it's very important to do things like that and get really, really comfortable. And I know we have a lot of women who maybe they don't want to do those skill camps because they're intimidated by them. And they're like, I just want to go buy a gun and I want to figure it out on my own. Um, what, as far as like rifle and shotgun, what, what do you think that that starting gun should be? So for rifle, I would definitely say a 22. There's absolutely no recoil, super small load. Um, you can go to your indoor range or wherever it may be and uh, kind of teach you how to be accurate with a gun, how to use a rifle, scopes, whether it's with iron sights or an optical. I would definitely start with your lower end and that, that'll that prevent you from flinching and creating bad habits. So that's what I started with, especially if you're young. Shooting a gun can be scary for the first time. Definitely try to eliminate all those scary factors. Something that's not super loud, something that doesn't recoil a lot, something that's not super heavy. I think that is very important. For shotgun. I so I shoot an over and under and shooting clay targets and competing is a whole different ball game than uh, bird hunting mm -hmm. a lot of differences between the two with the type of gun that you need to shoot if you're competing in in clay shooting you pretty much need to shoot a 12 gauge if, at least if you're competing at the level you know that I am and you're going to these big competitions across the country you're reaching targets that are 50 60 70 yards out there so you kind of need that 12 gauge um so if you're just starting to shoot a shotgun Again, it kind of depends on if you're a little girl or if you're, you know, a, a woman. Um, definitely start with those smaller gauges. Like you said, 410, 28, 20 gauge even. And in addition, um, semi-automatics tend to be a whole heck of a lot lighter than your over and unders. Um, and so that could be an option as well. However, your over and unders tend to have a little bit of a less recoil simply because they are heavier. Um, so you just kind of have to balance those things. But definitely, especially your youth shooters, there's really no reason why they need to feel as if they have to shoot an over and under when they're competing. Um, it's kind of the usual now, but a, a little kid should not be swinging around a huge, I mean, heavy gun, 12 gauge with 32 inch barrels. Um, there, there's just no need for that. So personally, over, I mean, uh, semi-automatics tend to be, like I said, a lot lighter and easier to wield around for your younger kids. And yeah, they can hold more loads too, three. Uh, not that you'll be using that when you compete, but obviously when you're going bird hunting and things like that, you can hold three shots in your gun, not just two. So that always helps a little bit. But yeah, and then again, the shot sizes too, with your shotgun. Having smaller shots, that, uh, ounce loads, smaller ounce loads, beads, things like that will help reduce that recoil and that kick um, that can be painful or scary or shocking when it comes to shooting a gun for the first time. Absolutely. I think that that's a fantastic advice. And these women, whether, you know, all ages, whether they're, you're younger getting into the outdoors or say you're in your late fifties or sixties and you're just wanting to get into this, there is a, a place for you. We, along with many other women's organizations, fully support all ages getting in the outdoors and I think that 
having someone like you being such a great advocate for women in the outdoors is so important. I think a lot of women need somebody to relate to. And I know that you and I had talked about this before we started recording, but women in the outdoors, there's a lot of women who are striving to get there. They just don't know where to start. And I think seeing someone like yourself in the outdoors, you're very relatable. You're very kind. And you really have a heart and a passion that I, I, to me, I think you can read it just from your profile, that it's important for these girls to find relatability in other women. And that's their inspiration. So do you have like a big inspirational story that put you where you are, or maybe even just a mission passion that you want to share with other women as far as being an inspiration? Um, I will have to say, I I know I touched on it a lot, but that camp definitely set me in multiple directions, um, career-wise, and getting involved with growing this female demographic, um, and again, bringing me back to hunting, making me realize how much I missed it, and, and growing a sisterhood, that was very important, and that is something that has definitely changed my life for the better. Hunting, in general, has provided a lot of opportunity for me mentally, as well, um, as a college student, going through vet school applications these past few months, months especially, I have endured a lot of stress and uh, my mental health, my emotional, I was just, I was kind of a wreck. And so I remember texting my dad at the beginning of the semester and I was like, I'm going deer hunting with you this year. I know I had mentioned earlier that I took about a three-year break. These past two years, I was able to cut out like a couple days of school and go up there um, to our property in Pennsylvania for three days for deer season. And I wasn't successful both seasons. I hardly even saw a deer. And it became very frustrating for me. Um, but this, the time I went this year was different. Um, the the motives behind it was different. It wasn't just about coming back with a deer, but just kind of having a mental reset. The woods does that for me, you know, sitting in God's creation and seeing how beautiful nature is and appreciating the little things. You know, like I said, you don't see a deer all day. When you see a squirrel or a little chipmunk by your stand, it brings a smile to your face or those finches that come in at 9 a.m. every morning um, and sing their songs. That brings a smile to your face and it lets you appreciate the little things and look at life through a different perspective. And hunting truly, truly heals me um, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And I desperately needed that mental reset um, this past week. And uh, my last day, I actually harvested a doe. It was my first deer in six years. And it it taught me a very valuable lesson. And, and it was the most important animal that I had ever harvested, the animal that meant most to me, um, simply because it was kind of like a sign from God saying, hey, I got your back, even through the rough times. And, and it taught me a lesson of, you know, your hard work will pay off eventually. It may not be when you want it to, or when you expect it to, but it will pay off in God's perfect timing. Um, As you can tell, I'm very religious. And that's a lesson that I desperately needed to hear during this time. You know, I'm currently hearing back from some vet schools and it's not the most promising. um, I'm not getting the most promising responses back and it's kind of stressful. You know, you've lived your entire life for this moment and it's not working out the way that you want it to, but you know, I needed that deer this season more than I did the last two seasons when I busted my butt sitting in a uh, stand 11 hours a day, 20 degree weather, not seeing anything and getting frustrated. But this year it all kind of came together and it just kind of showed me, you know, goodness will happen. Your, your hard work will pay off. You will reap your rewards, but it will happen in God's timing and in his perfect timing. And so that kind of, it gave me a peace 
um, to come back with and just kind of realize like, hey, God's in control and whatever happens, happens, but um, it's happening for a reason. And again, hunting heals me and, and has changed me in so many different ways, whether it be with my career, um, just the experience, just enjoying going out there and harvesting an animal to kind of healing your soul. Um, it, it has helped me a lot. And that is definitely a story that I like to share simply because it touches on those vulnerable aspects of your life. And for me, it touches spiritual aspect. And uh, it is something that definitely heals me. It is my stress reliever and is my mental reset. And it's something that I think a lot of hunters can kind of correlate with and people who don't hunt will never understand until you're sitting there and you're taking it all in and you're feeling yourself just kind of heal. Yes, definitely. I think, I think that's a really important thing to share is just faith in the process. Um, I think sometimes people get very down on themselves, not maybe not harvesting something that season or eating tag soup and what you're, what you're saying and it, it, it embodies the, the point of an outdoorsman, right? Like you're getting out there and you're enjoying every moment, whether it's the finches singing or just the, the walk and immersing yourself in what the creator has put out there for everyone to enjoy and immersing yourself in that experience, in that moment and taking it all in. But then when you do get that success of a harvest, like what it provides for your family as far as a meal. Like you said, with the sanity of just, you know, day-to-day -day busy life, it it's grueling. And sometimes you just need to take a step away and slow down and appreciate everything that's surrounding you and the opportunities you're given. And I think that's really important for people to understand that like there is a process to it. You have to trust it and you just have to have faith in it that everything will pan together the way it needs to and how it's brought, you know, you with your vet med and even into these mentor programs and it's something that the outdoors provides of encompassing everything as a whole, that it'll bring so many new opportunities to you and so many friendships built. And it's just a, a process that you have to trust and enjoy it. Really just immerse yourself and enjoy it. We're going to take another break and hear from our final sponsors for the episode. And then we're going to come back and speak with Brianna just a little bit more. But we thank you all for listening. And we also thank our sponsors throughout the 2024 year and some of our returning sponsors from 2023. So stay tuned. Um, we'll take a listen from our sponsors and we'll finish this podcast with Brianna. So welcome back. Um, we are finishing up our podcast here and we have kind of touched on all bases. But first things first is I would love to dive back into just a couple of the programs. So we talked about, you know, if somebody wants to get new into firearms or to get connected with this hunting camp, can you tell us where these people can connect and find those resources to sign up for the skill camp or even, you know, the firearm training and to get involved with these clubs. Can you give a little insight of how people can get connected? Yeah, for sure. Well, this day and age, we have the beauty of technology, which makes everything pretty easy access. Um, if you look up your local shooting clubs, I am sure that um, they have firearm instructors going there. They have pro shooters. Some of these shooting clubs have pro shooters that give lessons, um, attend clinics, um, there are a lot of clubs and uh, organizations out there that offer instructors, clinics, and things like that to really get people involved and learn the basics of firearm safety, um, even like concealed carry courses, things like that to kind of get your your basic firearm safety education from, um, from educated people. Uh, your camps, I mean, definitely go through social media, look at stuff online, like female hunting camps, where can I learn how to hunt? And I'm sure things like that will pop up. 
the camp I, I coach at is called She Hunts Skills Camp. And they have a website with camp dates. There's about four of them throughout the year. And they actually just implemented this year a 2.0 camp. So it's for the their alumni. And it's a whole nother like um, camp that already covered, uh, touches upon what they have learned in their first camp and builds on top of that and teaches them new things like survival and things like that, um, upland hunting. And so that has been really exciting to, uh, to see come to fruition. But just take advantage of the technology. Go online. I'm sure um, things will pop up when you look up, you know, female hunting camps, shotgun instructors near me, shooting clubs near me. And these places have a lot of resources that you can kind of pull from. And on top of that, you know, social media nowadays, there are a lot of influencers out there. And, and it's great to see, especially females kind of showcasing their love for for hunting and, uh, and showing that women can do this and they can get the sponsors, they can go on the hunts by themselves and, and, ba- and bag a beautiful animal. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that those accounts have resources as well. And on top of that, I'll put lastly, trade shows. I actually uh, attended the Safari Club International Convention in Vegas a couple of years ago. And there are so many resources there with hunts, camps. I was attending the She Hunt Skills Camp group, Um, you know, Dallas Safari Club International, uh, the American Outdoors show things like that as well. I'm sure that there are a bunch of resources there that people can pull from too and just learn about the industry. Yeah, I think the trade shows is one that doesn't ever get touched on. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because I travel all over and I've done like the NWTF and we do other trade shows throughout the US. And I think that that's one that is kind of that hidden gem that isn't really talked about. But there are so many resources, so many women's organizations that are, you know, have booths there or even just walk around. I know us with Women of the Wild, we don't all of our sponsorship money, we don't typically purchase booths. We were, if we're at them, it was probably donated to us, which is greatly appreciated, but we will still send a group of girls there to pass our information out and talk to women. And I think that that's a really great asset to the women's community is like that outreach of finding other women through, whether it's through hunts, whether it's through skill camps or these Facebook pages, Instagrams, things like that. And don't feel like you can't ask. Like all of these groups want to get you in the outdoors. There's no stupid question. Ask it. Ask, you know, for us, we have women that reach out to us and they're like, hey, I'm in this part of the country. I'd really like to get connected with someone in our area. And if we're not, we're going to give you one of the groups that are because it doesn't, for us, there's no competition. Like a women's group is a women's group as long as we're in it for the same mission. If we're not in your area, we're going to find you either someone that is or another organization that is. And I think it's really important for women to understand that you don't have to be intimidated to reach out. Like, please reach out. That's what we're here for. And these women's groups, there's so many private women's groups that if you don't want to be integrated with men to ask questions, completely understand that. I know we have one with Women of the Wild. I know several other women's organizations have those private groups for women to get connected in be more personable with each other and be able to ask those questions without feeling intimidated by, you know, a man responding with something that's a little bit ill-willed. And we just, we want to support that. And most women want to support that. And if you see someone on social media that you're looking up to and you're inspired by, reach out to them. If they're in it for the right reasons, they're going to answer you back and they're going to help you at the best of their abilities, or maybe make a, a contact to somebody else that's in that area to find someone to help you. And I think it's really important for women to know that most people on social media are very personable to reach out and ask a simple question, especially from a female to another female. We all want to see you succeed. And I think it's 
it's important for women to know, like just reach out. Um, so we are to the the final of this podcast and I've enjoyed speaking with you so much. And I, I look forward to hopefully connecting with you more in regards to the She Hunt Skill Camp. But on a personal level, before we end the podcast, I would like to know what your dream hunt is and where it would be. Ooh, that's difficult. <laughs> I would have to say I would love to go on like a Montana elk hunt, like backpacking through horseback, being out in the mountains and doing something like that. It's probably probably my dream hunt. Um, like I said, I haven't done a whole lot. I mean, I've hunted a lot, but not a variety of species. Um, actually, scratch that. <laughs> I, I forgot about Africa. Um, I would love to go on an African safari and um, harvest some of those animals there. You know, being able to kind of work with these animals on a, on a closer note through veterinary medicine and then being able to go to Africa and harvest one and do it through conservative means. It, 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 I think that's just really cool. It's really awesome. Yeah. Being able to kind of help these villagers and and preserve uh, their species and being able to help them over here and yet help their economy over there. Um, a lot of people don't realize what hunting outside of the country is. They just see how how could you kill such a beautiful animal? Why, why you're not going to eat it? Like what what's the point behind it? But they don't realize that there's conservative means behind it. There's a lot of background noise um, helping these these villagers um, basically build their build their economy off of off of this hunting. And at the end of the day. It's not like we're poaching. These animals are overpopulated and it's there to conserve their populations. And what better way to help do that through making a buck out of it and being able to help uh, the people that live there as well. And so American hunters play a huge role in their economy and um, being able to help people and conserve species as well is, uh, is something that I, I live for. I think, yeah. So you just actually hit one of my biggest passions. And I know we've talked about it before, but African hunting is something that I think is misunderstood a lot here in the United States. And people don't realize the conservation efforts that it does provide over there and how it prevents poaching. A lot of times it's looked down on as like, oh, you're a trophy hunter. And quite honestly, it's it's a terrible stigma phrase is that trophy hunting because there's nothing wrong with being a trophy hunter, in my opinion. And I know everybody has their own. And for a long time, I had that big, big stigma of like against trophy hunting. I was against African hunting until I did it. And I learned like education has been the biggest piece to that puzzle of learning that you are feeding villages over there with the meat. We can't bring it back. So it stays there. It's donated. And what it does is these villages they don't have grocery stores. So they have to figure out a way to feed their families. They can't just run to the corner store and pick something up. And I know we've talked like on previous podcasts, we've actually touched on this subject, but I think it's really important for people to understand that it's when you provide that meal, they no longer have to poach for that animal. There's it, it eliminates the need for them to go out and harvest an animal because they're getting it presented to them. And it's building an economy and it's putting jobs in that area. It's very, very important. It's eliminating a lot of the things that we have fought so hard against conservation for of we don't want these poachers out there. Okay, well, if we provide them that source of meal, they no longer have to find it on their own. So it eliminates things like that. And it's putting money and economy back into these villages that are very well deserving. I'm not an emotional person by any means. And I cry every year when I go to Africa because I see the the lifestyle that these people are living in, in, in the villages. And, you know, you go to these resorts and they're five star and they have all of our modern amenities and you just assume that's what it's like everywhere. It, you're, it's wrong. It's naive to think that. 
because being able to bring that meat into these villages and they're living in things that we wouldn't utilize as sheds. Mm -hmm. And they're just the happiest people I've ever met in my life who have absolutely nothing. And you're providing them a meal. It's, it's very heartwarming and touching to see that. And I, you just, I don't know, you hit on one of my big passions and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Africa has became a big piece to my heart. And um, it's something that if they, someone hasn't experienced it, I always tell people like, don't talk bad about it till you educate yourself. Like, don't say you wouldn't shoot a zebra till you've seen what it's like over there or like giraffes. I know they're looked at as these gentle giants, but when you start to educate and learn of them in their natural environment, it's not the zoo. And that's our false conception here in the United States. Yep. And I, and I'd love to touch on that more. You know, Craig Boddington, he tells stories of the times that he goes to Africa and he harvests an animal. And he talked about this one um, when he went and harvested an elephant or he guided a hunt and someone killed an elephant. And he's like, you don't realize that they're very destructive and sometimes they destroy crops and villages and things like that. And they, they, they're dangerous. And um, he said that when they harvest an elephant, he kids you not, there is not a wet spot left on the ground when they are done with it. They utilize every part of that animal. And, you know, not just about African hunting, but high fence hunting in general, Um, mm-hmm. and especially the exotic high fence hunting that we have in places like Texas, which is like the Mecca. You know, I was like you at first. I didn't really understand it. The whole trophy hunting thing. I, I was always, I grew up low fence hunting, like hard work and hunting. And um, I viewed it as trophy hunting and, and, and not fair chase, but when I went to this camp and I learned about, you know, the background behind it and and, and the true meaning in these huge game ranches, it is purely about conservation and they're making a financial means in order to conserve these animals. We get, um, you know, I'll I'll give you a prime species, the scimitar oryx. Mm -hmm. It's nearly extinct in their native lands and they sent a few to uh, Texas and we have been able to establish their herds and grow them. And we're now reintroducing them back into their native lands. And it's things like that, that, um, that people don't know, and they don't realize and hunting ranches, game ranches play a huge role in that. Um, you know, the, the place that I go for my camp record buck ranch, when they have extra does like access does or whatever it may be, it's not like they go on a shooting spree and have hunters just shoot them all or whatever. They send them to other ranches and they help them establish herds as well. And so there's a huge network of transporting animals here and there to help establish herds because their native lands where they come from, they don't have the means to conserve them as well as we do. And Mm -hmm. we're able to build a profit off of that and give it back into those animals through their feed, through their medications and, and such in order to send them back to their native lands and make sure that their species are conserved for generations and generations to come. And that is why I'm so passionate about becoming an exotic wildlife veterinarian, because, you know, when an animal gets sick, one of these exotics, it's not always, you know, an end game for them. They're not always called, you know, sometimes they're in these big breeding programs and they need veterinary attention. And I'm very passionate about that. That's why it's kind of the career path that I chose. But um, I think it is very important to be educated on what exactly high fence hunting is, what exactly these game ranches and exotic hunting and things like that, because there is a whole, I mean, there's, there's background information. There's a reason behind it. And it's not just what we see. And that is trophy hunting, putting a head on a wall. It's not about that. Everything at the end of the day comes down to conservation. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, we've touched on that on previous podcasts about the Scimitar Oryx and going nearly extinct and how it was Texas ranches that brought that population back. And 
other species and even even not internationally and overseas, but in other areas, um, like the conservation efforts towards the bighorn sheep right now, there's so many animals that are benefiting from it. And hunters are looked on, looked down upon by other people that don't understand it or don't hunt. And I think that people don't realize a lot of times that hunters are the number one contributors to conservation. And we do it because we love those animals. And like you are the prime example. So you have a woman who is so passionate about animals that she's taking a career in vet med but yet she's a hunter and it almost seems like it doesn't like it doesn't make sense to someone that may be a non-hunter or you know even maybe a new hunter is like I don't understand like why is this woman making these efforts towards being vet med but she's out here killing animals it seems backwards but it's not we are so focused on the conservation efforts and there is always a need for to manage these populations and I think that a lot of it too aside from feeding our families it brings that conservation conversation to the forefront and it's important and you touched on a big thing for me um I can't tell you how many times I have been asked that question throughout my entire lifetime how can you want to be a veterinarian and hunt animals like isn't that contradictory And it's actually what I wrote my personal statement about for vet school. Um, And I know it was a big risk, but I can argue. I mean, I've I've heard every explanation, every argument, every opinion you can possibly imagine. And what I like to narrow it down to is hunting isn't purely about harvesting an animal, just as veterinary medicine isn't purely about saving every animal. And, you know, as much that that's the goal. For veterinary medicine, we want to be able to save every animal from sickness and and have a miracle. But at the end of the day, we have um, a moral obligation to make ethical decisions. You know, if you have a dog come in with stage four cancer that's 10 years old, and uh, are you going to tell their owners that they need to put them through thousands and thousands of dollars of, of treatment just for this dog to live a couple more agonizing months? Or are you going to say, hey, this their quality of life has declined tremendously, and you need to think about, you know, euthanasia? And- it's making those ethical decisions and it's the same thing with conservation. You know, I can guarantee you every hunter that is there for the right reasons, if they have a trophy buck standing next to, you know, a little four pointer who has a huge gash in his leg that's infected um, and, and, and is struggling and is, and is starved, uh, they're going to take that little four pointer every single time to put that animal out of its misery. And and that's what I love about hunting and conservation. You know, hunters have a respect for animals more so than your animal rights activists, if you ask me. Um, And I can argue that hunters make the best veterinarians. You know, there's so much more to veterinary medicine than just the medicine. You have to read animal behavior. You know, your patients can't tell you what's wrong. And as hunters sitting in a stand for hours and hours a day, studying these creatures, their habits, what they eat, their mating rituals, things like that. We know animal behavior better than anybody else. And you, like I said, hunting is vulnerable. You take a life. You know, I say a prayer every single time that I take an animal, thanking God Mm -hmm. for providing my family with this meal and this animal, because I know that it is for the greater good. It is to conserve this species. That is a topic that I can probably go on for hours, but that's kind of scraping the surface. And like I said, I've been prompted with that question my entire life. And I have been able to kind of develop a response to that, that you know, helps people see what hunting truly is about and how no other career could line up with that passion better um, than veterinary medicine. Because at the end of the day, we have respect for these animals. And um, while there is emotion attached with it and veterinary medicine, we need to 
at the end of the day, sometimes keep that emotion out of making ethical decisions. And that is, you know, what hunters are able to do. You know, we're taking a life, but we know it's for the greater good. We're putting an animal down because we know it's for the greater good. Um, and, and so I can't think of a career that correlates better and aligns with hunting than veterinary medicine, if you ask me, um, and isn't contradictory whatsoever. Yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And it, it's definitely something that we could talk about. Like we could almost have a whole nother podcast just on that topic. <laughs> and honestly, I would absolutely love to, because I think that it's, a misconception by the general public, not even just hunters. I think the general public doesn't understand it. We'll have to have you back on and dive deeper into that, but it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to working with you more in the future. And I want to thank you for coming on today and speaking with us and giving that insight to these women and our listeners of where to start, what to do, how to do it. And I will definitely put the links in the bio for this when it posts for people to look up uh, where to find, you know, some of these resources or even where to find these skill camps and things like that, because I think it's a very important resource for people to know that there is somewhere for you to start and do it at your own pace. So thank you so much for coming on today. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Yes. Thank you so, so much for having me. I can't, um, I think, thank you enough for that opportunity. And Again, thank you for everything that you're doing for helping grow this female demographic. It's people like y'all and organizations like y'all that are truly making a difference. And I am so thankful to, to be a part of that. So thank you. Well, thank you. We really appreciate that. Well, we are going to wrap up this podcast and our Women of the Wild wants to first say thank you for joining us, but also please make sure that you're going on and checking out the website. We have some links there for you to be able to find other resources we have uh, memberships with our newsletter with some of this information hooked to it. We have our calendars. We have our cookbooks for the 2024 year showcasing women from around the nation, as well as recipes of wild game, whether it's fishing, whether it's hunting or even, you know, gardening. The recipes are in there for you to utilize and they're from other women just like you all around the nation. And we look forward to having and seeing some of these women on our events. And please feel free to reach out to us with any questions. Make sure you're checking out our podcast that airs every Thursday at 6 a.m. And our third Wednesday of every month trivia podcast to provide education back to women and also get you more involved in the outdoors.